today on AM2DM, we're talking about Chrissy Teigen versus Trump. Then I'm sitting down with singer Natasha Bedingfield. We'll see you on the timeline. Good morning, Twitter. I'm Alex Berg. He's Zach Stafford, and you are watching AM2DM. It's Monday. How was your weekend? It was cute. You know, I was not out of town, so that was very cute, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> I stayed here in this little city called New York, and I had me a great time with friends, and I feel like you had a great weekend, too. I did. I feel like uh, I'm learning to embrace fall, actually. Mm-hmm. I feel like this weekend, I now became a fan of fall. So Fall is amazing. Yeah, It yeah. is my favorite season of the year. I know that's like slanderous because it means winter's coming, and winter in New York or other East Coast or Midwest places is very harsh, but fall is just, it's the season of romance for me, and I love a romance. Oh, romance. this Season of romance. I mean, I'll be single the whole time, but it is a romance. <laughs> somebody, somebody out there is falling in love. Someone is with a pumpkin spice latte in hand. So actually, can I tell you something? Um, I took out my Halloween decorations, <gasps> which included uh, these little pu- fake pumpkins with glittery stars on them. I know. <laughs> I was. Ass I, <laughs> <laughs> of course, they I really, glitter on. Them. I know. I know. But I was really like. After I did this, I was like, who am I? I don't recognize myself anymore. Already taking out uh, the Halloween decorations. I also have a neon sign that says, beware. And when did you become cool, Bob? I don't know. Like I don't cool know. It, it, the, so a flip switch. A switch flipped. That's what happened. And I, all of a sudden, I became this, like, fall person who likes Halloween and is decorating in September. Okay, so I'm going to come trick-or-treat at your house. You're going to have that good candy, girl. <laughs> have that little big. Think about full candy bars in my house. <laughs> Look at this. Wealth, everyone. Wealth. <laughs> Switching gears a bit this morning. Here's a treat from Susie Meister. Trump has become, like every other man on Twitter, desperate to get Chrissy Teigen's attention. <laughs> After John Legend participated in a criminal justice town hall on MSNBC, Trump referred to Teigen in a tweet as Legend's, quote, filthy-mouthed wife. To which Tegan responded, lol, what a pussy-ass bitch. Tagged everyone but me in honor, Mr. President. Because he's smart. He doesn't want none. He thought he could talk shit without her noticing. But you know what? Chrissy's always watching, y'all. That's the thing. She'll get you together. (laughs) If you're going to say something about Mm -hmm. Chrissy Tegan and refer to her as a filthy mouth wife, like you better know you're going to get it. And just something about, like, his usage of these words that says, that like, and for dirtiness when they're people of color. Yes. This yes. is, like, ugh, just, it's just so gross. So, yes. so, so gross. And also, like, Donald Trump has become a huge fan of MSNBC this weekend. I mean, he's tweeting about them right now. So I don't know if his remote stopped working, but he's really stuck on that All channel sudden, right now. he's been watching it. I mean, Chrissy Teigen, for a long time, has talked about Trump on Twitter. So mm-hmm. it's not like that's new. She, he blocked her. So that's the gag. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, he blocked her and, like, is aware of blocking her. So then he was, like, going to talk about her in a subtweet. Like, the president subtweeted a model actress. So like, weird. That's it's wild so weird. to me. You know, like, Twitter really contains multitudes. But I was saying that, like, this is one of those moments where you're like, without Twitter, we would not be able to see the president sparring with a supermodel <laughs> over this kind of thing. And she wouldn't be able to really directly call him that. Do we need to see it, though? <laughs> I felt like actually this morning when I was coming in, you were really I absolutely, I, I needed to see her yeah. say it, her her creative use of, yes. of language. It's incredible to see we live in a moment where like supermodels are like going head to head with the most powerful people in the world. Like this is, welcome to 2019, y'all. It is, it's a ride. But this is like Trump's thing is, you know, fighting with various kinds of mm-hmm. celebrities on Twitter. It's just like a roller coaster. Yeah. At all times. So, well, I want to hear from you. What did you think of Tegan's clapback? Tweet us using the hashtag AM to DM. I'm just glad I got to say some bad words on the morning show. <laughs>
You <laughs> felt that release. That That's Monday. it. All yeah. right. Well, I'm going to stop saying bad words because here's a tweet from NBC Nightly News. Oscar-nominated actress Felicity Huffman should serve a month in jail and pay $20,000 fine for her role in the college admissions scandal, federal prosecutors said in a court filing on Friday. Kasim Rashid tweeted about the filing. Homeless black woman sends five-year-old to wrong school, five years prison. Wealthy white woman bribes college officials with tens of thousands of dollars, 30 days in jail. This is what institutional white supremacy in criminal justice system looks like. Reprehensible injustice. Kasim is an attorney and joins us now. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Now, that tweet of yours has been retweeted practically 60,000 times. Why do you think it hit such a nerve? Well, I think because people recognize this injustice, that it's not just uh, a random thing. It's become the norm. And until and unless we take action to, to change our policies, um, this is going to continue. I was canvassing a few weeks ago. A young black uh, college student asked me if I thought the criminal justice system was broken. And I said, no, the scary part is that it's working exactly the way it was designed. And that was to advance the system of white supremacy that unfortunately ruled the U.S. government for, for centuries and centuries. The 13th Amendment doesn't actually abolish slavery. It simply says that slavery is only permitted in the uh, prison system. And that's what we're seeing right now uh, persisting through the Jim Crow era, through the post-Jim Crow, uh, Crow era into 2019 today. And I think it's gotten 60,000 retweets and it's going to continue to go because people are fed up and, and they want change. They want some kind of meaningful reform. Mm. So how do these two headlines that you pointed out or exemplify this white supremacy within criminal justice you're speaking about? Well, it's, it's, it's a racial disparity and it's the wealth disparity. Um, we, we see, if you, if you look at the sentencing guidelines, um, they, they, you know, on the surface are supposed to be the same, but you know, uh, black Americans are typically sentenced to uh, 20% longer sentences than white Americans uh, for the same types of crimes. Um, moreover, you see that uh, black men, for example, uh, are sentenced five times the rate as white men, even uh, black uh, uh, college students, um, when you look at their drug and alcohol uh, conviction rates, uh, even though their usage is the same as white students, uh, black students are six to nine times uh, more likely to be charged and sentenced in college. And so it's creating a class system. And then when you you know add the wealth inequality that's becoming just devastating in our country right now, uh, it becomes even worse. You know, Felicity Huffman's an extraordinarily wealthy celebrity, and you have a, a homeless African-American woman, a mother. Uh, so she didn't stand a chance in, in this space. If you, if you switch the two around, you would see a very different um, result. And so when you compound these uh, person after person, year after year, it develops a class system that is not, uh, not conducive to a healthy society, but it's actually quite destructive, not just from an individual standpoint, but from a generational standpoint. What message do you think Huffman's one month recommendation sends about the criminal justice system? Just that having that kind of wealth and whiteness and you're good to go? <laughs> Essentially, right? And, and that's what we've seen repeatedly. That's what the, the data shows. And, and people can critique my tweet by saying, well, this is just one particular example. But, you know, this is unfortunately not the exception. It is the rule. This is why we see, uh, you know, black men and women uh, charged and convicted at a rate of six times higher and white men and women, why, why black folks have a 20% longer sentence for the same crime. And, and, and until and unless we change our criminal justice system to one built on reformation and rehabilitation instead of revenge and retribution, we're going to continue to see this. If you compare the United States to most developed countries in the world, we have a recidivism rate that's nearly double 
most countries. We have the world's largest uh, prison population. We're supposed to be the land of the free, but we found a way to make money off of this, and that's why it's continuing to get worse. So until and unless we reform our system to one based on justice and rehabilitation instead of revenge and retribution, this is only going to get worse. And and minority communities, I have even mentioned, you know, Native Americans and Latinos, they're going to suffer the worst. They're going to continue to be marginalized by a system that claims to be based on justice, but in fact is based on capitalism and, and retribution. Mm. So, you know, Felicity Huffman has recently just said the past few days that she was doing this because she wanted her daughter to have a fair shot. And that her daughter has been having nightmares since this incident and her arrest. What is your reaction to that statement from her, considering everything you've said about white supremacy when she, you know, immediately benefits off of this all the time? A fair shot. A fair shot. You know, uh, I, I can't remember the, the woman who said it. I, I, forgive me, but the, the quote is so appropriate that when you've had privilege your whole life, equality feels like oppression. Um, to, to, to claim that despite having millions of dollars and every conceivable advantage in the world, you need to also cheat just to have a fair shot is just the epitome of privilege. Uh, and it's, just, it's actually disgusting to even claim that that's what your thought process was. She knew very well what she was doing. She had convinced herself that it was the right thing to do. But the reality is that um, for, for the, the nightmares that her daughter is having, I, I, I sympathize for her daughter. I mean, I, I feel bad for her. Uh, I also don't want to forget about the, the thousands, if not millions, of young Black and Latino boys and girls who have been marginalized and their lives devastated and destroyed due to a criminal justice system that unfortunately targets them simply because of the zip code that they were born in or the, the, you know, the complexion of their skin tone. So, you know, I, I think this is an opportunity, though. It's, you know, I'm, I'm running for office on this platform as well, that we need to restore fairness and justice to our criminal justice system. I'm working with some great local nonprofits like Failsafe Era, which works specifically to help returning citizens, you know, get back their lives. And, and what that means is ensuring that those who are coming out of the criminal justice system are truly restored full rights, meaning they have the right to go to school and get financial aid. They can get Section 8 housing if they need to. They can get SNAP and of food stamps. Um, when we continue to punish people, even after they've paid their so-called debt to society, then that's where nightmares come from. That's where true devastation comes from. That's what we need to reform. Uh, uh, forgive me if I don't shed a tear for a millionaire who felt uh, compelled to help her daughter cheat on the SATs. Well, I'm really glad that we got to have this conversation this morning. Kasim, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Ooh, I mean, fair shot says everything about what you think about your position in the world, right? It explains your entire worldview. Yes, it sure does, because that I'm just going to move on from yeah, that. Yeah. Well, here's a treat from Ronan Farrow. How an elite university research center concealed its relationship with a sex offender. Documents show MIT Media Lab accepted donations directed by Jeffrey Epstein far in excess of what the university has admitted to and worked to cover it up. Here's a tweet from Brian Ford. The Media Lab has long been academia's fanciest glue trap for morally elastic rich people. It is a laundromat for capital for some of the world's least socially conscious entities and individuals. Mm, joining us is Slate correspondent Justin Peters. Good morning. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Well, Justin, first up, tell us about your time at the MIT Media Lab and what initially drew you to working with them. Yeah, well, so I initially wrote my uh, graduate master's thesis about uh, this research group there that uh, was studying how to make computers sense emotions, and then they were going to use that uh, technology to help autistic people sort of create wearable computers that uh, people with autism could wear around, and they could tell when someone they're talking with was happy or angry or whatnot, because that's very difficult for autistic people to sense 
um, just alone. And, you know, during the course of my uh, time there in research, I was intoxicated by the place. The entire building felt like the most intellectually vivacious place I'd ever been. And, you know, I wrote my thesis and was very, uh, you know, complimentary towards them. And then a year after I turned in uh, my thesis, the people who I studied uh, took their technology, spun off a company, and started licensing that same technology that was supposed to go to autistic people to uh, car makers and uh, market researchers and all sorts of people whose sole interest in emotion sensing technology was how they could use that to sell their products more effectively. And that sort of disparity there between world changing rhetoric and uh, you know naked capitalism is really the whole story of the uh, MIT Media Lab. And it sort of goes to explain why the now former director there thought it was a good idea to take almost $2 million from a convicted sex offender. Yeah, it's really fascinating to get an inside look uh, at your experience there. Um, what can you tell us uh, about the money that came from Epstein? Uh, it was $1.725 million, $525,000 of which went to the Media Lab itself. The rest, which is really interesting, went to uh, private investment funds overseen by the now former director, Joy Ito. Um, and when I first saw that, I'm like, what? <laughs> why is this person uh, simultaneously taking money for the um, research group that he oversees and also taking money to uh, put into companies. And then I realized, well, this is what people in industry do. And, you know, by showing that he is savvy enough to play both sides of the game, that is the sort of thing that helps him go to other uh, corporate partners and say, see, I'm, I'm just like you. I want to make money too. I'm looking for good investments. I am trying to change the world while getting rich in the process. And that to me was, you know, super telling as well. Mm, so, you know, this thing, we're focusing on MIT today, but are the practices and the donations that they're accepting representative of other issues across academia here in the U.S.? Yeah, and this is the whole way that science gets funded, you know, ever since uh, the 1980s, if not before. Most academic scientists will tell you they spend the majority of their time trying to seek cash so that they can undertake experiments. And the people that are best at it, um, places like MIT, places like Harvard, other sort of massive you know, research universities, eventually become inured to the consequences of spending all of their time uh, trying to grab money from whoever has a checkbook and a pen. Um, and I'm not saying that there is anything inherently wrong with uh, trying to seek private funding for scientific research. If we weren't able to do that, there wouldn't be very much scientific research done. What I am saying is that the Epstein scandal, and it is a huge scandal, needs to be a moment of reflection, not just for MIT, but for the entire scientific enterprise about the moral valence of the funds that they take in and the sort of contours of the structures that have been set up to make this the way the science gets done. Well, it's a huge scandal, as you said. And Justin, thank you for unpacking this particular piece. Thanks for having me. Well, later on, Alex is sitting down with musician Natasha Bedingfield. But up next, Comedian King Batch is helping me with Fire Tweets.
time for Fire Tweets, and today I'm joined by actor and comedian King Batch, who's going to help me get through these hot, hot, hot tweets. Good morning. Good morning. Was that someone screaming in the background? Yeah, someone was on fire. Who? Literally. We burn a person every day to get that sound effect. This is crazy. It's a welcome to BuzzFeed, where everything goes crazy. So this game is really easy. Okay. I'm going to hit a button, and then I'll read, and then you'll hit a button, and you'll read, and it'll be a good old time. Okay. You can handle this? I think so. Okay. Well, watch me. I'll show you how it's done. Okay. All right. The first tweet comes from Ninja, who says, I don't trust anyone that doesn't lose socks. Odds are nine times out of ten, I'm wearing mismatched socks. Wow. I actually (laughs) saw this tweet. Really? But I don't know if I agree because... Really? Okay, so here's the thing. I only buy one brand of socks. Which one? Hanes. All white? No, all black. black. I literally said this in the pre-production video. I said, just buy all black socks. That's all I do. Easy So I, I just have that and... Okay, maybe they're not the same ones that I bought originally. Maybe one's like a week old, maybe one's a year old. (laughs) But as long as they come together and unify, that's all that matters, right? Spelling your feet, or maybe they are. Maybe they Uh, are. uh, Let's move on to this next week before we get into that. (laughs) You ready? Yeah. All right, so so it's my turn. Yes, your turn. All right, and bam! Okay. Maybe there would still be dinosaurs today if the Flintstones didn't use them as scissors, bells, Dishwashers and pens. Wait, what? <laughs> Do you not remember this? They what? So in the Flintstones, you're, all your like accoutrement, like your scissors were animals or dinosaurs rather. So they would <gasps> use them. Like the cars the were car? also. The, yeah. the car, they had wheels on it. Remember like in his office supplies, like, there was like little pterodactyls. I, Is that the, what it's called? Pterodactyls? The birds that fly? Yeah. The dinosaur birds? Yeah. I just thought like the car, with the, he used his feet to run. He used his feet, but you would also use them to do other things. Like so pterodactyls, I think were scissors. It was weird. I gotta rewatch. Is it on? Is it on Netflix? Where's Frank's Hulu? Talk? Google? Hulu? Hulu? I'm sure it's on Hulu. I don't know why. I'm just assuming Disney owns it. I gotta rewatch uh, the Flintstones now. Yeah. Well, well, we'll come back when you watch it, and we'll do it again. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right, Vanessa. You tweet it. I'm not stupid. Sometimes I'm just not smart. I think. I think that. <laughs> I think. You relate. Uh, I. I'm just not smart. <laughs> Vanessa, what you talking about, girl? <laughs> maybe she was hacked by a twin sister. Ooh. Does that happen, Colin? Maybe, maybe that was sabotage. <laughs> maybe the other twin's trying to take over. I love you creating a narrative for this person. That's, that's, what, that's what's it's happening. Building and building. Okay. All, All right. right. So this last one we do together. Okay. So on the count of three, we're going to hit it, and then you'll read it. Okay. You know, okay. Three, two, on the count of three. Okay. No. Oh, wait. Oh. <laughs> ah, chaos. <laughs> You know some, do we like? No, you do it by yourself. I thought we do it together. We're not, you wanna try it together? Yeah. Okay, three, two, one. You, you know someone is about to use you, use you when, when they, they start, start a sentence with, hey, can, can you, you, I tweeted this. <laughs> I was finishing then. I was start saying, can you do me a favor and not ask me for that favor, poor favor? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Not poor favor? Yeah, that was like, no, no. I'm like a rapper now, so I had to have like bars to everything I do. So that was like the the, the bars to my tweets. Well, you got bars. And speaking of bars, let's talk about your music now. And thank yes. you for helping with that. Now you know it's a heavy lift, and I need good comedians to help me get through those three minutes. So right, I right, appreciate right. that. Oh, one. no problem. <laughs> so you released your debut album, a comedy album, Medicine, and yes. Dolan tweeted this. King Batch with his Oh, here we go. King Batch with his album Medicine proves that laughter is the best medicine and that his album is fire. So you've always seemed to find new ways to showcase your comedy uh, by making viral videos. But what made you want to do this album? Uh, Because I felt like 
it was missing. Like really? no one, no one has been doing like comedy music, mm-hmm. like specifically for that. So I was just like, yo, what I need, I need an album that I can just play and just like have a great time and just laugh. laugh and and it's dance. a visual album. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why don't I just do it? Like, but why didn't you also make it a visual album? Because you're like, I'm gonna make a comedy music album, but then it's also gonna be an ode to Beyonce by being visuals. Because yeah, like I wanted to work like, hard like Beyonce. Hello? So I shot all the music videos for all the songs, all visual, all comedy. And I was happy when it hit number one. Which I was, is huge. Yeah, I was like, me? <laughs> you are Beyonce. I, I, am I Beyonce? Were you number one and two? Because that's what she said. She's like, I'm just, when that song comes, I'm number one and two. But I only got one album. I got to make another album. Just drop like you whispering and resize an album. <laughs> like a whisper album. <laughs> A What's it, ASMR? Yeah, ASMR. We're like, Ooh. Has that been here. done before? I don't think so. Hello. I'm going to go do it now. No. Hey! <laughs> Come back here. <laughs> so, you know, beyond before the album, you have been really popular on Vine, but you've also transitioned to other platforms like Instagram. Mm-hmm. What made you realize you'd be good at like having staying power when others can't? Because some of the Vine stars just hit the floor. Um, I don't know. I just, I just, I, f- I feel like it's all about having your point of view and living your life. It's like, at the end of the day, people don't fall in, in love with uh, the content, they fall in love with the creator. So if people like your personality, they'll just follow your journey. Mm-hmm. And I feel like something with like your work is that you're always trying to give folks something that they haven't experienced before. Mm-hmm. I think you've said, you like, I want to give my listeners things that are brand new, brand spanking new all the time. Yeah. And do you think you're accomplishing that with this new work? Is this actually building upon that idea for you? Oh, yeah. I mean, first of all, this, this comedy album, it's never been done. Like mm-hmm. a whole visual comedy album. So I, I just... I, I love doing stuff that hasn't been done before. So Does it get what, scary, though? I mean, because comedy is really like, why it makes it... You so- have to be fearless. <laughs> Bam, hit the buzzer. Where's the fearless buzzer? Bam! <laughs> you just gotta do it. Damn, I've never seen someone hit both. <laughs> See? Never been done. But like, where do you get the strength to be fearless? I mean, it's hard out there, especially on the internet, when you get canceled so quickly for not being funny. Uh, I just don't care about a lot of things. So it's like, <laughs> if they don't like it... Uh-huh. You know, I, at the end of the day, this is what I tell people. Don't create uh, material for everyone else. Mm-hmm. Create it for yourself. Do what makes you happy because also it's good for your mental health, right? Yeah. You don't want to do stuff for everybody else. You want to please yourself. Or put, your, put yourself first. And then if people like it, then they like it. You build it, they'll come. That's right? really good advice. That's good advice. So what are you building next? What's next for um, I filmed. I think I filmed like maybe six movies this year so far. Damn. So they, they'll come out next year. It's just going to flood them. Like, movie, 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 TV show, movie, 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 God. Instagram video. Like content, 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 content. Yeah. You're the content queen and king. You're yes. like all of it together. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for helping me out today. It's been fun hanging out and seeing how you can aggressively hit buttons that I've never seen. I think I broke before. that. It's broken. Well, it's all done. Oh. Well, <laughs> all right. But you can listen to Medicine on all streaming platforms now. More Aim to DM is up next. Here's a tweet from Tracy Renee. My parents seem genuinely shocked at my class policies. Yes, your fifth grader may redo any test or quiz. No, I don't care how many times they choose to retake it. Yes, they can turn in that assignment late. I'm a whole adult that requires grace and mercy. I can extend that to kids. Tracy faced a barrage of thoughts on her policy. Here's a tweet from Gail. No, they have to learn to meet deadlines or suffer consequences. You're creating the next generation of wimps. They won't file taxes on time or pay their credit card on time. Be firm. <laughs> and here's a tweet from Brittany. If you have to turn in a report to your boss and you miss the deadline, does your boss say, never mind, I won't take it now? No, your boss says, get it done. I still need it. 
You don't get out of the work because you missed a deadline. Accepting light work is real world. Mm. Ding, 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 Zach, ding. these responses just were hilarious. really... Okay, so first of all, <laughs> we're talking about nine and 10-year-olds who don't have to file their own taxes don't. yet. It'll be a long time before they have to. Um, don't have a credit card. Don't have a credit I, maybe card. Maybe they do. I, it's not in their name if they do. Like, There's no way you've built the line of credit to get that. So what, what a false equivalency <laughs> and also wimps. I actually think that allowing kids to repeat repeat something mm-hmm. uh, in a way that helps them then get good grades and goes goes towards their educational success is a really good thing. Yes. And puts them on a right path where they have the independence and critical thinking mm-hmm. to redo the work and turn it in if they feel motivated. To yes. And I feel like many of you that did not like this policy have forgotten what school is about. It's about this one thing called learning. And when you yeah. fail, you're not learning. So you should be given more opportunities to learn and become a master in that skill. Because if it's not worth keeping and retaining, then why are we teaching it in the first place? And that's why I love this so much is that it's saying, you know, what I'm giving you is precious and you should get to know it and understand it. And you should get that space so much that you can be late or turn in later yeah. as long as you get the information. Because that's the whole point of school, that's not to point. fail. Well, the thing is, you know, not everybody has the same learning style. And no. I think, you know, what this gets at is that oftentimes there's supposed to be one really rigid, structured way that everyone is supposed to learn. Yeah. And that just doesn't work. I can remember when I was a kid, um, I went to a pretty rigid public school for kindergarten mm-hmm. and I was really um, way too energetic. I was really creative. A lot of the way that they uh, assessed our success did not work for me at all. Hmm. Um, and I had a really hard time paying attention in class. And so I actually had to leave the school to go somewhere that was better for my learning style. And I really wish that I would have had a teacher then um, who was compassionate and could have acknowledged that like maybe not every kid is going to get it right on the first try but if you give them some other chances or maybe you try a different structure allow them some space in their learning they could be successful whatever that means exactly and also you don't know what's going on in these kids lives around them I know all the examples I have of teachers giving me extensions in like elementary school and middle school had to do with like all the bullying I was getting Mm -hmm. like I couldn't focus in class because I was so stressed out because Tommy's going to say this and Jill's whispering so I would be pulled after class I remember one teacher Miss Crutcher would work with me after class and teach me things on one-to-one because she knew during class I was distracted because of things she couldn't, she didn't know how to handle. That's fine. And I think that's what's so amazing about this teacher is that you got to realize that students are like people and they're complicated and they're going through shit Mm -hmm. and you got to bend to what they need. We're all not like robots that walk in and like, yes, A plus A. Yeah. don't add A's. Never mind. See, I need to go back to school. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I also just think, I mean, to me now looking back as an adult, it seems kind of wild that we Mm -hmm. grade children yeah. um, because they're children and I feel like there is more to life than just getting an A on a piece mm-hmm. of work in terms of your development and growing up and learning and it's true you don't know what's going on in these kids lives and the kind of systems that we have now um, mm-hmm. where it can, you get one chance to take the test and that's it you get one chance to turn in your work and that's it and there should mm-hmm. be no exceptions whatever. I feel like um, that operates under the assumption that everyone has the same resources or even their parents have the same paradigm and understanding of what education should Mm be. Um, And so that's unfair. Right. It's so unfair. It's really unfair. And also, like, what I love about this teacher's policy and what I think you're getting at is that we should, like, allow communication and people to talk about where they're at in their own learning. And yeah. that's what it should be about. It's like, it. you know, meet you where you're at, and that's fantastic enough. So yeah. what we want to hear from you all, what rules do you wish your teacher got rid of when you were in school? Let us know using the hashtag AMTDM. Up next, I sit down with musician Natasha Bedingfield. bringing it back on the show. We're just marveling over the music. But here's a tweet from Naomi Fry. 
The most important song of the 2000s is Natasha Bedingfield's Unwritten. I'm excited to be joined by Natasha Bedingfield herself, who has an album out now called Roll With Me. Welcome. Thank you. I'm sorry, we could just not resist, you know, bouncing it in to those tunes. Yeah. I'm really loving that like R&B is back in and like when you go shopping, it's just like Destiny, Child, everything, you know, Boys to Men. I love it. All that stuff that we grew up on is back. Well, I want to talk about Roll With Me. It's your first album in nine years. Why was now the time to release this? It just was. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I found, honestly, I found a producer that I just locked in Mm -hmm. with. Linda Perry is so incredible, as we all know. Um, But we just got into such a flow. And um, I wanted to release an album that was a body of work. And and I really felt like Roll With Me is. It it just has this kind of flow. We all listen to music now that we want to keep playing. You don't Mm want to kind of switch tracks. Mm -hmm. You want to keep playing like Spotify. Mm. Well, Linda Perry is, you know, such an iconic uh, songwriter, uh, producer. She's a sole producer on this album. Um, Can you talk a little bit about what it was like to work with someone who was just so iconic in their own right? I loved uh, the challenge um, of working with someone who is known for taking people out of their comfort zone. Mm. I'm always ready to get out of my comfort zone, you know. I mean, I also hate it, you know. It's nice to be comfortable. But to me, when when I'm learning something new or when I'm, um, well, I'm growing, then I feel like young. Mm, you know, you feel mm-hmm. like a beginner, mm-hmm. and I like that. In terms of getting to work with Linda Perry, um, something I saw you talk about uh, in an interview was that previously you had worked with a lot of uh, male producers, um, and that working with them, there was more conflict involved in that process. I mean, why, why was that? Actually, there's always conflict. <laughs> so there was definitely conflict with Linda also. Um, I actually love the conflict. I think that's what makes it, there's this kind of friction that, that helps make creative. If I was just on my own, mm-hmm. I just, I wouldn't be challenged in the same way. Um, I think working with men, th- there's, it's definitely different. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's that kind of, you have to sandwich your, um, your, your thoughts into mm-hmm. com- complement either side. And they're like, but I think this could change. Um, uh, the thing about Linda that I loved is that she has a son as well, who, who's really young. And there was that kind of motherhood thing that we really bonded over. Mm-hmm. And that feeling that you're gonna get stuff done. You know, like, that's not, Let's not kind of dilly-dally, let's like actually make music here. Well, speaking of motherhood, yeah. how has having a baby um, it, like influenced your creative process? I, I just feel like I'm in love. And so I feel like I've got that kind of love glow and um, everything feels easier. Like being on stage, I'm like, I've just, it's like that childhood, raising a child is really hard. So everything else is easy after that. Mm. And being on stage, I'm just in my element. I love it. I've noticed that with a lot of the press for this album, you get asked a lot about motherhood. How do you feel about talking about it? Like, do you like getting that question about it? Does it ever ever get tiring? I mean, it's also new to me right now. (laughs) Yeah, not yet. It's still fresh. It's still fresh. I'm like stepping into a new um, identity as a mother, and but I still feel like myself. I, I still feel just like a girl. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I was listening to your album, I was in particular uh, struck by the song Everyone Come Together, which kind of asks people to come together and acknowledge this this divide that we're in right now. Yeah. Is that a political song for you? I mean, there definitely is more political stuff on this album. And I really enjoyed, you know, just I feel like I've deserved, I deserve, I've earned the right Mm. to talk about some, some more stuff that really matters. And there's so much going on in the world. Like it would be, I have a microphone in front of my face. It would be terrible if I wasn't actually addressing some of that. So there's this song called Everybody Come Together. It's, it's powerful. And it's just saying that like that we're so divided. So let's find things that bring us together. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't be so left. We can't be so left and right. And what a mm-hmm. find ways. 
Yeah. Well, so, it's interesting because in 2012, you, you actually participated in the song Forward um, for Obama's campaign. Yes. Um, at the time, do you have any plans of dipping your toes into the 2020 election? And if one of the candidates wanted you to make some music for them, is that something you'd be up for? I mean, I, I loved um, that Obama used Unwritten in his campaign. Mm. And when I went to the White House, I, you know, I mentioned it to him. He's like, I know, that's why you were here. I was like, oh, this is so crazy. <laughs> um, it's amazing to meet a president. It, I'm, a, I'm from England. I'm yeah. a foreigner. Um, but I, it, it's just, it's incredible. And it blows my mind. And um, I, I love writing about things that matter. So mm -hmm. if, if, I, if it was the right thing and the idea came to me, then yeah, of course. Then you might do it. You mentioned that yeah. we're so polarized in this moment. And you also yeah. mentioned going to uh, the Obama White House. If, if you were invited to the White House now by Trump, do you think you would go? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. Do you plans on But I am a guest in this country. Mm -hmm. So I also, I'm, I'm, I'm respectful. Mm -hmm. But no, I, I, there's some weird stuff going on, and yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, we have to talk about Unwritten. How could we not? Such an iconic song. Um, what do you think still resonates with people about the song? Um, with Kick It? With, with Unwritten. Oh, with yeah. Unwritten. Sorry, Kick It's my Kick new It is song. also my, a great bop. <laughs> that resonates with me and everyone else, too. Um, Unwritten is, it's, uh, it's, I wrote it to one person. And yeah. I think it was just so true and so real and that it ends up being something that relates to everyone. Yeah. And in, myself included. Uh, I love it. It's the bit biggest compliment when someone comes to me and says, that was my song. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for actually the New Hills intro song, you re-recorded yes. it. Like you didn't yes. just remix it. So I, um, we heard that The Hills was rebooting and we were like, look, let's do a new version of this song. Like it's, it, it deserves, it deserves it. Like let's do it for fun. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, it was really, it really was fun. Yeah, are you, did you yeah. watch any of the rebooted series? Uh, yes, a little bit. How'd you feel about it? It's great, I love it. Yeah. I, I, I love how everyone's moved on and grown and that it really shows that. And, yeah. yeah. Well, before we go, um, you do have a lot of really fun uh, bops on your new uh, album. Yes. Um, I also loved, there's a song called, about roller skating as yes. well. Are there any songs that you just really hope um, listeners grab onto, like Unwritten, on this new album? Yeah, this album is so fun. Um, the roller skate um, is just all about roller skating in London. It's intended to make people move. And the main thing I've been thinking about as I wrote it was, what is the live show going to be like? Mm. And I've got a tour um, in, the U in the U.S., beginning October, mm -hmm. all through October, all through the major states in, uh, in America. So I'm so excited about that. And I'm going to like play a lot of the new stuff there. So check out uh, NatashaBenningfield.com. You have to come. Uh, it's please honestly, sign me up. Come on. It's so fun. And it really works well with the old stuff too. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Well, it was so fascinating get to talk, getting to talk to you about the new album it. and your process and Linda Thank Perry, you. all that good stuff. I'm a huge BuzzFeed fan. I love watching. It really makes my day. Oh, I mean, there's so much rubbish online, or when I watch BuzzFeed, it just fills me up. And, you know, deciding to wear no makeup for a day. Yeah. And just kind of yeah. seeing what people's reactions yeah. are, or like, there's just so much fun stuff. Oh, well, we love hearing that. Thank you so much yeah. for joining me. Thank you. I should have come on here with no makeup. Oh my God. Next, next time, you'll come back. We'll <laughs> both go no makeup. Still love me. I'll go to your concert, then we'll come here, <laughs> then we'll do this. Well, Roll With Me is available now. Up next, it's Poets Hotline.
Welcome back, y'all. As you notice, the lighting's a bit different, and it's because Atticus, one of the most famous poets on Instagram, has uh, is here, and he is an anonymous person. So we're going to keep it real dark and real secretive, and it's going to be real spooky, ooky. But the conversation's going to be light and fun. So, but Atticus has a new book out, uh, "The Truth About Magic," which you can get very soon. How are you doing, Atticus? I'm really well, really well. I like this lighting. Thank you. It's like actually like a lot for me to process because <laughs> I'm so bright. I look kind of terrifying, but it's you nice. Do I look like I'm in a horror film? Hopefully. I I may get alive out of this segment. But, you know, before we get into the book, why do you conceal your identity? We have to talk about that. Um, yeah, you know, I think for me, it, uh, it, it's like a symbol. It reminds me to write what I feel and w- not what I think I should feel. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not writing for anybody else. I try to write vulnerably, and I, I do that imperfectly, but that's the idea. Mm, and do your family and friends know who you are behind the mask? Or do they know the mask Atticus is their, their family member? Uh, some of them do, actually. I, it was kind of funny. My little sister, I went home for Christmas one time, and she mm-hmm. was telling me um, that she'd been following this poet for two years called Atticus and that I should follow him. She had no idea. She knows now. Oh, really? Yeah, she had <laughs> was no it idea. awkward to like, have that conversation? It was very, yeah, it was very <laughs> But you're like, weird. so sis, that's actually me. <laughs> How did you prove to her that it was you? Uh, I mean, she didn't believe me for a long time, and, I, and then she started seeing all my poems, and, and, and she started putting it together. I was like, see, this is about my mom. This is about our mom right That's here. so wild. How do you get her not to spill your tea? Um, she's cool. She's cool like that. Yeah, she uh, Okay, sister's out here in the clutch. Really, yeah. ride or die. <laughs> well, you know, your new book, The Truth About Magic, builds on romantic themes, on your, which were in your bestseller, uh, mm-hmm. The Dark Between the Stars. What can readers expect this time around? This one is the last book in the trilogy, so I wrote my first two, and I, and, uh, I was so humbled when they mm-hmm. became bestsellers, and this is the last one that kind of bookends the whole thing, so to speak, and uh, it takes off where the, the last one left off, and it's all about kind of like young love and, and going to the desert and, and just you know being wild and that kind of like endless youth kind of idea. Mm, and do readers need to read all of them together, or can they like, jump in and out? You can jump in and out. Okay. It's very much so like just grab, that. This one's really grabbing y'all's attention. Start here and work backwards. Yeah, that's right. All so right. This lighting is really <laughs> selling it for y'all. So, you know, outside the book, you have over a million followers on Instagram, and you've really kind of helped chart uh, this idea of the Instagram poet. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think you were kind of pinnacle in creating that genre? And what do you think about the genre of poetry and the kind of critiques of it? Um, I don't know if I was pinnacle at all about, you know, in, in bringing it all together. I think it was a movement that was happening. I think it, I think it really speaks to our generation and the, the, the resurgence of poetry has been a beautiful thing. You know, people's like, you know, finding new love for words Mm -hmm. and and certainly like short form poetry and, and just like bite size. It's very consumable, but like, I think it's like our generation that's like looking for meaning, you yeah. know, and connection. Yeah. And is, why did you choose Instagram to make that meaning connection for folks? Um, it, it happened kind of serendipitously. I, you know, at first I just typed poems on a typewriter and just posted them as, mm-hmm. as pictures and I never expected it to take off and was really surprised and humbled when it did, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, yeah. What were some of the first reactions you remember getting that really moved you and you were like, aha, this is a thing I'm going to keep doing? You know what, when the first time I got somebody or somebody tattooed my words on them, yeah, it was very, I couldn't believe it. What was the poem? Can you read it for us? Uh, I think it was Love Her But Leave Her Wild. It was just the, t- the title of one of my longer poems. Wow. And what does it feel to see that on a body? And you know, as an artist, it has to be <laughs> profound, but also really anxiety inducing when you're like, oh, my words are literally 
Right. You know what? Every time I think the same thing, I'm like, I hope my grammar was okay on that post because if they have a comma in the wrong place, you know, mm-hmm. that's permanent. And mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's terrifying. <laughs> More terrifying than me in this mask right Which here. is very terrifying <laughs> yeah, right I'm now. Sorry. Um, so, what, so what do you want the future of your poetry to look like? You know, Instagram is really growing really fast. So what yeah. do you think as they add new kind of gadgets and whatever on there, do you think your work will look like in the future? Um, well, I want to, I'm always looking for new ways to bring the words alive. And I just launched a podcast called Naked on Cashmere, where I read my, my poems, uh, uh, aloud and, um, you know, it's, it's doing that and, and introducing video. We started doing a lot of poetries, and it's just like new ways to like bring the words alive and tell those stories, you know, mm. just content. It's content, yeah. content, content, content is king. <laughs> and what do you think people want out of their content these days? You know, we have so much news. We're on a new show right now and there's just content everywhere. But what do you think makes it stick to people and make them have this emotional reaction? Yeah, I mean, it, it's connection. It, you know, I, I, I often get this message that says, uh, it's, they say the same thing. It's like, you know, you said something in a way that I didn't know how to articulate it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's, that's a beautiful way to say it, what you're saying. And it's just like they want connection. They want to they wanna feel um, themselves in the content. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, what will the next mask be after you, uh, after you go through this mask? Is this going to be the one forever? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not my forever mask. It's, uh, um, you know, it's, for me, it doesn't matter what the mask is. It's, it's, mm-hmm. For me, it's more about keeping my anonymity and keeping it about the words and not who I, who I am and, and people can put make me whoever they want me to be yeah you know? I love that make me whoever you want to be I'm going to start saying that on dates make me whoever you want me to be well Atticus <laughs> thank you <laughs> well Atticus thank you so much for coming today yeah, it's thank a you. joy to have you and also a joy to have this new lighting I'm going to test this out for other segments keep it uh, well the truth about magic is available tomorrow up next we're talking about that literally happened BuzzFeed's new show on Facebook watch stay tuned Caitlin tweeted, 90s nostalgia will never die because we all want to live in the decade when we thought bagels were a health food. The 90s were crazy. Bagels were a health food. In many cases, they were even crazier than we remember, which is why BuzzFeed News has launched a new show hosted by our friend Hayes Brown called That Literally Happened. Let's take a look. Ah, the 90s. Ooh, me in the 90s? I still use fanny packs. Oh man, the 1900s. You guys should have been there, it was great. In fact, there's probably a lot you forgot about. For example, the time the vice president failed a spelling test. Dan Quayle said add a little bit to the end of potato. Or like the time three little characters sent the whole world into a panic. It's gonna be the end of man, mankind as we know it. And like the time we all thought that Beanie Babies were a sound financial investment. So, whether you lived through it. Children running in the streets, they had skippets. For the youth, a skippet is a thing you put around your foot and you skip over it. We were very entertained by it. Whatever happened to the ab rollers? That was a thing in the 90s, wasn't it? So you never had abs. I did in the 2000s. Or never even knew about it. You know, I was just getting out of Pampers, so I'm pretty sure people were wearing like baggy clothes. I was high. That's what I was doing in 1996. (laughs) We will be here to remind you that literally happened. I just love that our dear Harry's Brown is about to give us a TV show that's going to have us uh, in uh, trauma because we're going to relive everything that we did. I actually loved it. Again. I, I, there was <laughs> zero. The I, I, I loved it. It reminded me of so many things that I loved about the 90s, well, like 
Skippets! I forgot about those. I do love those. Well, I'm still coming off the trauma of that young person, Akai, being on the show and dragging That's me true. for my fashion. That's Well, true. the one thing he could never drag me for was how I used the internet back then, when I used to actually dial into it. And something that we haven't hit on in that clip is AOL Instant Messenger, which Ugh. I had to bring up today, because that is my favorite 90s tool. Did you use it? Uh, of course I used it. So <laughs> I had uh, my main AIM account, which I would come home from school, I would log on to, okay. Alex424. I don't think you can still IM me over there. And what I mean, like, it was like you would just see these people, you'd get home from school, mm -hmm. then automatically have to log on and start talking to them, even though you just you saw just them. saw them. <laughs> you just saw them. And this is why we're now afraid of phones. This is like the progression. Yeah. Is that like we yeah. went from like talking to you on the phone to AOL and we got really exactly. addicted to that? I too would sign on every day and I also had a bunch of burner accounts. Tell me about those. Tell me because, about those. Because, you know, I wanted to enter into those little chat rooms. Y'all don't remember this, but before there was a grinder, a Tinder, and all these other things, there were chat rooms that you would jump into and you would have to literally create your own identity. And it was the only time in history that you could tell someone, I don't have a photo, and they would believe you. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no the photos. only time. Yeah. Because <laughs> literally, it was really hard to get photos on the internet. I uh, also had a burner okay. AIM account. I don't even know if we call them, like, what do we even call them burner accounts? Because now you have, Finsta, Finsta. you have a Finsta. So I had a like a fame, fame, know, a, a fake, fame. A fake <gasps> but the point of it was that uh, I was like trying to be too cool for school mm -hmm. and would only want to talk to certain friends on my fake secret account, this. probably talking smack or trash or whatever about my other friends who, you know, I just, yeah. I just wanted it to be more exclusive. You were too funny. Uh, I yeah, did yeah. not do that. So, I'm just happy someone wanted to talk to me. Yeah, well, we <laughs> also have to talk about some of these 90s accoutrements. Yes. Which may shock a lot of you out there who don't remember this, but we have a few pieces of a very high caliber technology from the 90s that we just got to talk about. Okay, I got to start off with uh, this device, friends. This is called a cell phone. <laughs> I know some of you may not recognize it. It's a uh, it has an antenna. It flips open. This is how we used to text and talk. I feel like I'm having my like Cher Horowitz moment on this phone over. Okay, wait, how did you open yours in the 90s? You know, I don't even think mine had an antenna, but I, you know, I think I would just do this and da da da. The, the nice thing see. about these is you could really, they were durable. They were you know? durable. You could just, oh, like, the, toss the gag used to be this. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I think that'd be good for y'all. See, hello. That is impressive. Girl, it never goes away. I, um, I mean. <laughs> All right, so we have Palm Pilots. Do y'all oh remember our Palm? Gosh, a Palm? This Pilot. was like a little computer that I can't open. <gasps> Can you get it? Thank you. Yes, yeah, so well, there's another lots of experience version opening here. Palm Pilot. Wow, we cannot literally. God. There's a stylus. Can actually open the Palm Pilot. So oh, this, what was so funny about this is that they rarely ever work. <laughs> and also the pen is really extra. Oh. Like you'd have to take it out. Um, my parents had one of these like, uh, you know, palm things. Mm -hmm. I don't think it was this one, mm -hmm. but it was similar. And it was like, I guess, pre-iPad. It really takes me back. Yes, and you could it only draw in that one little area. And you had to learn and, like, that was it. This is crazy. Can you imagine? So here's the thing now? that's really going to blow your mind. This is what CDs were. So Natasha Bedingfield's album, I had it on one of these. Yes, we used sure to buy a whole I think I one did of these. back then, or I would have if it was out back then. But yeah, you would go to the store and buy these, um, and you usually only liked one song on them. <laughs> you, bought the, you bought the whole what thing. Yeah, we were really scammed. It was a night. really big scam. The other thing is, I used to make mixes for my friends. Oh. Um, I think which was more of an early aughts kind of thing, uh -huh. um, and I would like write in permanent marker yes. on here. And you had a certain marker because if you, you got have, too thick of a work. pin, you would ruin it. It would go straight through. My, yeah. And this. And then I actually never used one of those. This I, actually, this, early is how, this is how you can tell who's an older millennial and who's a younger millennial. <laughs> younger That's millennials are like, what is this? And you're like, girl, I don't know. Something. Something cute. But the then, thing, well, okay. We have to talk about this. Alex, tell me about the first time you got a Livestrong bracelet. Oh, you know, I, I think I, it was like maybe at summer camp or something. It was 
uh, early on in uh, the Lance Armstrong is a hero iteration a hero. of that cycle we all <laughs> yeah. went on together. Yes. Um, so that was that. But the thing that I just want to point out now is that these days, in one cell phone, you literally get all of this stuff. Yes, all of it. Like, I'll even say the Livestrong bracelet one, because and this your too, phones are accessories now. So, so you know everything. Yeah, so that we is, have, we've come a long way. Jesus, I just really way. can't believe I don't even know this what that is. Life once. Wow. Well, there you go, kids. <laughs> that literally happened, which you can see all of the, that literally happened, and then that literally happened yeah. premieres today on Facebook Watch with new episodes dropping every week. But up next, we're reading more of your tweets. Stay tuned. Can't wait to watch and reminisce some more. Welcome back. Um, I just received a text message, and I stand corrected on the Palm Pilot gadget situation. We got a fact My check. dad had something called a Newton which was, Tea. I guess, Max version of a Palm Pilot far before the iPad. Clearly, wow. it didn't last very long. Okay, a new, Dad. A new, a new, like, unreal. Well. Well. Well, I had an HP Palm Pilot, so that's the only one I know because that was the Palm I mean, the, yes. how old were you when you had... Girl, I was too like, young for this. I just, you we were can flipping jump that phone open. Flipping bones on Palm Pilot. Pure age of You're nine. emailing nobody like by myself. <laughs> myself. This is why I was so. You were destined up. to be an editor in chief. Thank you. Yeah, I yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. Well, let's move on from me, my favorite topic, and let's talk about something else. We wanted to know <laughs> what you thought of Chrissy Teigen's response to President Donald Trump. DeCorno says, "I can't believe we have someone as so mentally unstable and petty in our highest office, and I hate that he inevitably brings people down to his level. I love her, but." But wish she had taken. She hadn't taken his bait. He wins then because he gets more oxygen to that news cycle. I think it's a little bit more complicated than that. Like I, I'm do. not into this dichotomy of win lose kind of thing. I just I do think it's like more complicated. And Chrissy yeah. Teigen also has always conducted herself this way on Twitter. So and there's also like I'm not one to co-sign on respectability politics. If she wants to like clap back because this man is talking about her and her family, go off, sis. Yeah. Like he doesn't want smoke, then don't come over here. Like there you go. Sorry. Yeah. Well, Christian added how. Do have to appreciate how adult contemporary singer John Legend is roasting the president. Imagine Michael Bolton doing the same thing to the first George Bush in 1991. Oh, I'm now imagining that, and that would be hilarious with like a piano. Someone write me a fanfic when that happens. Michael Bolton. So the activist we didn't know we needed. Yes. Yeah. I love that. Wait, who would you actually want to see next? Drag Donald Trump. Oh my gosh, I don't know. I'm gonna have to think about that one a little bit more. Mine's gonna be Rihanna. Oh, that would also be. Well, she has. She, she has, has, actually. She has. She has. Okay. Never mind. I've already gotten that blessing, so okay. that's why I'm so All right. powerful. We'll have to think of someone else. I, before we go, I do want to note the lighting in your Oh, yeah. Oh, Atticus. was really incredible. <gasps> Take us there. Wow. Ooh. Ooh. Can we get a close-up? <laughs> this is also giving me like a little bit of like a football situation. Oh, my God. So, this is you know, literally creepy. It this is, is like really the creepy. end of the world. I kind of love it. Well, I love it. Well, now let's end on this note. Okay. It's dark Great. <laughs> Thank you to our guests, Kasim Rashid, Justin Peters, Atticus, King Batch, and Natasha Benningfield. And we will be back here tomorrow 10 a.m. Have a great rest of your day. Ooh, spooky.